to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Natural MD Radio. This is Aviva Ram welcoming in the autumn with you and with it going inward a little bit to a part of our body that has so much more influence over our health than science ever realized. That is our gut. It feels like the perfect time of year to me to be talking about the gut because for me as a gardener living in Western Massachusetts, I'm really tending the soil right now. My husband and I are busy planting cover crops. Okay, truth be told, he's mostly planting the cover crops. I'm talking to you, but we're tending the soil of our garden because when you have healthy soil, you have healthy microbiome, you have healthy plants, and we're not that different. My guest today is not only an incredible woman, I, okay, truth be told, I totally have a crush on her. She is just, when I talk about hot, I mean hot in every way. She's just the smartest, most generous, loving, interesting, hilarious woman, and she's just a brilliant gastroenterologist, Robin Chutkin. Robin and I jammed together on Zoom for the launch of my book, Hormone Intelligence, and we created a series of videos and audio chats that I've extracted so that you can enjoy them. So before we jump into my interview with Robin, I wanted to share a couple of things. If you haven't gotten a copy of my book, Hormone Intelligence, please do. It's really got an amazing gut program, but also a total root cause approach to hormone health. But even deeper than that, it's really about reclaiming the power of our cycles, the power of our emotions. It's about not using hormonal as a four-letter word anymore, because it's not a four-letter word. The other thing that I want to share with you is that my 28-day gut reset, which now 15,000 or more women have joined, it is an incredible community program guided program, and a really deep look at our gut health in the context of so much more autoimmune conditions, cognitive function, focus and concentration and memory, depression and anxiety, so mind and mood, sleep, actually how your gut feels, IBS, SIBO, and all of those conditions that are so common for so many women and more. And it is a program that we're going to be launching in the autumn and the spring of the year as a guided program. And then it'll be available, what's called evergreen, means you can get it anytime and do it on your own. But on October 14th, we're launching it as a group program again, and it has been completely redone. So even those of you who did it with me in the spring as part of the Gut Reset um, for the book launch, um, we've taken all of your experiences, your needs, and put those pedal to the metal to um, make it even more personalized and more enriching for you. So if you are interested in doing a gut reset with me and my team nutritionist, dietitian, Catherine Wool, who will also be helping guide the program with me. She's a wonderful uh, dietitian. She is a graduate of my Women's Integrative and Functional Medicine program, and she was also 
one of the group practice leaders at the Cleveland Clinic Functional Medicine Institute, and she uh, left there to join my team. She and I will be taking you through an incredible 28 days starting October 14th, which will bring us a nice reset after the summer and before we head into Thanksgiving and winter holidays and New Year, where I know the foods and lifestyle of that time can really affect a lot of women's guts. So it's going to shore you up and get you ready for that time too. So if you're interested in joining me for that, head over to avivaram.com gut forward slash gut reset, avivaram.com forward slash gut reset. And you'll be on the waiting list and the mailing list, and you'll learn all about how to join me for that program. If we're past that point and you're listening to this podcast sometime in the future, all good. You can still head over to that link and it'll take you to the um, waiting list for the group reset or you can do the gut reset on your own. But without further ado, I cannot wait to introduce you to Robin. Now, I want to tell you one thing before we dive in. Robin um, and I had a long jam on the phone and on Zoom before we cut this for the for the hormone intelligence chats. And so one of the questions I asked Robin at the beginning of the chat was is there anything about our uh, anything about her that we might not know. And that would be just an interesting story. And here's what she said. Um you know, I think it I think something that people might not realize and you might hear it a little bit with my accent, but I'm a foreigner. <laughs> and I say that with a great deal of pride, but I actually came to the US at 17 for college. And prior to that, I was born in Jamaica. My dad's Indian and my mom's Jamaican. And I was born in Jamaica. And when I was about 13 and a half, we moved to the Bahamas, really, because there was a lot of, at that time, a lot of political crime in Jamaica. It was sort of a tough place to be. And we moved to the Bahamas, which was great because it was also you know, it felt very familiar as, as a country in the Caribbean, there was sea and sand and so on. And culturally, there were some similarities. But it was also quite different. The Bahamas was much more like America, in some ways, it was sort of a transition. So I went to high school there for a little bit. And then I took a gap year and I was in Spain and France, because we graduate a little bit young in the Caribbean, typically. So I was 16 when I finished high school, and was in Spain and France, and had also been in high school in France for a little bit. So when I came to the U.S. at 17, and I remember my parents dropped me, New Haven, uh, the um, what they call old campus where all the freshmen live. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking through the gates and thinking, I do not know a single person in the state of Connecticut, much less mm -hmm. in, in college. Like I knew nobody in college. But, but then I remember thinking of Eva. I was like, but wait everyone speaks English. And I've been struggling. I mean, my parents thought it was fine to spend time in France, not knowing a word of French, like you'll figure it out. And I've been in this tiny town in the French Alps. And I figured out I should tell them I'm related to Bob Marley, which I'm not. But everyone knows oh, Bob Marley. That so I'd is walk so around and I'd be funny. like, Bob Marley, cousin. Yes. Wow. Instant friends <laughs> in the community. I hope nobody from that little town, Evian, where the water's from, I hope nobody from Evian is watching this and saying, wait, she's not Bob Marley's cousin all this time. So I got to, to New wow. Haven and I was like, wait, everyone speaks English? This is going to be such a breeze. And I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a breeze, but it was, um, it definitely, there was more ease involved. But you know, I think that struggle of I'm living, I'm a teenager and young because I'm the youngest of three and I'm living in countries in Spain and in France. 
where I literally have never taken a French class and I'm just figuring it out. And we were talking earlier about resilience and grit and so on. I'm not sure I would say that I was happy every moment I was there, but you know, I'm so glad that I did it. And it really did make that transition to college seem sort of easy breezy in a way, uh, less challenging. So, so that's something about me. Um, and I'm naturalized, so I'm a dual citizen, but a proud citizen of both the U.S. and Jamaica. So um, it was an unexpected story from Robin that I thought you would enjoy. And I hope you enjoy this tele- this chat. And um, I look forward to seeing you in the Gut Reset. Welcome back, everyone, for another incredible chat, a hormone intelligence chat with a guest. Let me just tell you, I had to teach after this guest at a conference. She spoke, then I spoke, and all I could think of was like, I can't do any better than that. I don't even want to say anything. She's such a phenomenal teacher. Robin Chutkan, who is not only an MD, but an integrative gastroenterologist who has been doing microbiome gut health in a really profound way long before it was cool and is a game changer, a sea changer. And as you're going to hear, a brilliant woman and brilliant physician and incredible speaker. So Robin, Thank you so much for joining me. I cannot live up to that intro, but all I can say is that (laughs) I get a conference once, a couple guests after Malcolm Gladwell, and I was literally like, I couldn't open my mouth. And Malcolm Gladwell, who, as you know, is not a physician, was explaining something medical, like better than any physician I've ever heard. And I was literally, I just couldn't, I could barely get up there and speak, so... Well, after we spoke together <laughs> at, oh, you're welcome. After we spoke together at Food as Medicine, I really did have that feeling. You're captivating and so articulate and so clear. And I just went up to Kathy Swift and said, okay, I I, I totally have a crush on this woman. Oh, <laughs> She's well, like, we all do. Likewise, likewise. Uh-huh. You know, absolutely. I, well, I know you are on a book deadline and I can't, and, and you're an actual practicing physician, which is so important in this wellness space. So many people are writing and teaching, but not practicing anymore. And you're in it on the day to day. I know you've got a book deadline. So thank you so much for taking time. Because when I was proposing this book to my publisher, after my last book, they were like, what do you want to write about next? I said, you know, I kind of want to do a book about polycystic ovary syndrome. Then I want to do one on endometriosis, then fertility, then menopause. And my publisher said, can you pick just two of those topics and do them in one book. He said, can you do, let's say, polycystic ovary syndrome and endometriosis in one book? And I said, well, that would be a little bit like writing a book about Jamaica and Haiti. They're both in the Caribbean, but they're as different as can be. He said, well, what would it take to write a book? I said, well, if I wrote a book about, let's say, five islands in the Caribbean and how they're affected by the Caribbean, that would work. And he said, that's what I want you to do. So what ended up happening with this book was, I ended up writing about essentially seven different hormonal and gynecologic conditions and the factors that shape them all. And of course, one of those central factors that we're here to talk about today is the gut. So it's really about this whole exposome, how it's, what is interconnected that leads to the common factors. And then what do we understand about the differences about each of these conditions as their own culture within these ecosystems. So it's so funny that you I love that analogy, though, because you're so right. I mean, there are so many features of the diaspora and the Caribbean that are similar, but we are, I mean, people in Jamaica 
are as different from people in Trinidad as people in Texas are from people in the UK in many yeah. ways, right? And, yeah. and my husband, who's American, finds it so amazing that you know, the minute somebody opens their mouth, I can tell whether they're from Guyana, Trinidad, Barbados, Bermuda, you know, Bahamas, Jamaica. Some of the accents are a little more distinctive. And yeah. you can probably tell the minute somebody starts talking, PCOS, endometriosis, exactly, right? You exactly have that sense because this has been your home for so long. And, you know, I love that you're doing it sort of an archipelago of these diseases because I think some of these conditions are so misunderstood. And I, I have a lovely patient, speaking of the Caribbean, from the Dominican Republic, and I've gotten to know the family, and they're just wonderful. And he said to me, you know, I know my daughter isn't your patient, but she's struggling with some stuff too. And I said, well, this isn't, you know, of course, I mentioned your name. I said, this isn't really my field, but I know enough, and certainly we're next door neighbors, right, the gut and the sort of reproductive tract, to know that the track she was on was the wrong path, and mm -hmm. that she needed some guidance sort of staring off. So it, it's just wonderful that you've written this, the title, when you sent me that email with the title, I mean, I literally was like, this is the best title ever. Oh, thank it you. such a great title. Really you know, is. I actually, I was in the shower this morning thinking about our upcoming talk thinking, oh, I wish I had asked every guess what hormone intelligence means to you when you hear that, what does that inspire? So I, I would love to hear like what clicked yeah on for you when you heard that? You know, I thought of the whole IQ EQ thing, quite frankly, that was just what came to me, this idea of like, you know, and I think we invoke EQ a lot more than we do IQ now, because quite frankly, well, and there's so many like, there's so many like yeah, racist IQ connotations to IQ right. that I won't even call it that with the book. Yeah. But EQ, this idea, which is really this sort of not so much sixth sense, but really this intelligence around emotion and communication and how you interact with people and intuition and how you sort of intuit things. And I think that, that we both sort of have this passion for what isn't really a superpower, but is an, an intimacy and familiarity with certain things. And we want to give that to people. We want to mm -hmm. say, here, this is how you figure it out. And this is how you come to know your body and understand and, you know, nurture it and nourish it and really take care of it. And that's what, you know, the hormone intelligence, that's what really I thought of immediately is like, you are sharing this knowledge and this, you know, this intelligence around hormones and female reproductive problems and the reproductive tract and all of this. And you're really sharing it with your audience in this incredibly wise and generous way. So I love Thank it. You. And I literally cannot Thank wait for you. you to copy. Thank you. Well, speaking, it is on the way. We just got ours the other day, literally like they send these to you what, a week before your book is out and you're trying to get them to your colleagues and friends and teachers. So they, it's on the way now, finally. With, with the chocolate, okay, so I hope. With the chocolate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, with, with, um, with gut, there's so much to dive into, but you mentioned, um, intuition and knowing, and when I think of the gut and women, that's always the first place I go to, right? Like this gut knowing, but there's so much more to the gut than that. And I would, I would love to start there with what that means as a gastroenterologist, gut knowing, gut as second brain gut, mind, and mood, because so much of what women experience, I feel when we say that our hormones are imbalanced, I feel like we're, we're often talking about something going on with our body, but we're often also talking about 
our moods. So, you know, I'm PMSy, I'm irritable, Absolutely. I'm stressed. I'm yeah. So can we talk start by talking about the gut mood and gut intuition and gut mind connection? Absolutely. And I do want to give a little shout out to my friend and colleague Emron Meyer who has a great book called The Mind Gut Connection. Who's a neurogastroenterologist uh, out in LA and, and really doing fantastic work. So, really, when we talk about the second brain, the enteric nervous system, we are literally talking about nerves in the gastrointestinal system. And we have about seven times as many nerve cells in our gut as we have in our spinal cord. We obviously don't have as many as we have in our central nervous system, but nonetheless, it is uh, a, an organ that is full of actual nerve cells. And then on top of that, we know that a lot of the neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, et cetera, we talk about serotonin as a feel-good hormone. And we know that about 70 to 80% of serotonin is located in the gut. So that is really where your happy place starts and where your sad place and your anxious place and your depressed place can start too. So we know they're nerve cells. We know they're neurotransmitters that are made or <clears throat> partially made in the gut. They're, the gut bacteria are very important in that process. And then we know that there's bi-directional communication between the gut and the brain through the vagus nerve, one of the cranial nerves. And I'm forgetting now whether it's a 10th or the 11th. Remember, did you learn that? I think, that's, I, I think Monic, it's the 10th. Vegas. On old Olympus towering yes. top in and German <laughs> vent, Vegas 10, right? It's 10. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it is a 10th cranial nerve. And so there's this bi-directionality of communication with the vagus nerve. So the gut, the health of the gut, and I have this great slide that I'll describe of basically a really sort of inflamed gut and that affecting all the neurotransmitters going to the brain, but at the same time, uh, a brain, a mind, if you will, that is also sort of disordered and out of whack and that also affecting the gut. So it goes both ways. And the really funny thing, when I met Emran a few years ago at a conference we were both at in Aspen, uh, I had read his book and he had read my first book, Gutless. And we met at the sort of cocktail mixer and I said, we're both seeing the same thing, but I'm approaching it bottom up and you're approaching it sort of top brain down, right? So he focuses on a lot of sort of cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that, mindfulness to calm down the gut. And I focus a lot on lots of fiber and green smoothies and diet and things like that to help some of the cognitive things. But we both like absolutely are speaking the same language. And I think that goes for you also. So there is, there's interconnectedness with all of this stuff and particularly with the gut brain. And if you've ever had that feeling of sort of butterflies, if you get a little bit excited or maybe a little bit nervous or something, you do feel it in your gut. You feel fair in your gut. I remember I was years ago when my daughter was about four, maybe three, was at a birthday party. It was a park outside. And I heard this blood curdling scream. And there were probably 30 kids there. And I knew immediately it was my kid and I felt it literally like mm. it was so clear. I felt like somebody had punched me in the gut. And then I turned around and saw, you know, the blood spurting. She'd fallen oh, out. No. The monkey bars. And thank mm. goodness there was another mom there who was a trauma surgeon in between the oh two my gosh. bundled up and to the hospital and stitches. But I mean, I almost talking about it almost could sort of reproduce it. Right. I felt it so clearly, like somebody had just ripped my insides open and I felt it in my gut. I didn't, it, I felt it in my gut first and then it traveled up to the brain and I was like, okay, time to spring into action. But we really feel it. I feel like we can sense that, that feeling when something isn't right. Maybe you're walking down a dark alley and you feel like, mm, this isn't mm -hmm. quite safe. Uh, maybe I, you know, shouldn't have taken the shortcut. 
whatever it is, and, and trust that. Trust that because it is actually real. It is based on real neurotransmitters and real nerve cells and real communication between the gut and the brain. And it is our, our sort of guiding light in so many instances. Have you heard of this concept of interoception? So proprioception is like, you know, if you look at your hand and then you close yeah. your eyes, you can still see it. Right. Um, interoception is this concept that I started learning about in doing the research for this book, which is literally a gut knowing. Like our organs have... Oh, entero, like E-N-T-E-R-O. In, uh, it's actually, uh, it's intero, I-N-T-E-R, like internal, but oh, it's okay. this internal like gut knowing. And I think it is actually mediated through the vagus nerve. So our organs, yeah. our gut feels something and it creates this messaging as women, particularly, I feel like we've been so taught to dismiss our gut, to dismiss intuition, to dismiss our physical sensations. Um, you know, I've used this term a couple of times um, as talking with teachers is gaslighting ourselves like, oh, I'm not really feeling that or that's not important. So how do you approach your own intuition knowing this gut knowing is a real thing? Yeah. And, and I think I'm going to adopt that, but make it entero, E-N-T-E-R-O for enteric yeah, nervous system. I love it. It is, you know, there's so many layers of that. For me personally, being the youngest of three, I was a little bit of a people pleaser. As I like to say, I didn't give any trouble till I was in my thirties. Um, so it is really this sense of, you know, and, and I think in medicine, we're so performance driven, right? I mean, it's such a hierarchical system and you're trying to hit these things first in college with your MCATs and then boards and then matching in residency. And so there's this constant sense of trying to achieve and master yeah. this thing. And I think we don't pause to say, well, do I even really want to be doing this? You know, what do I, what do I really want to be doing? So, so for me, as somebody who's fairly sort of achievement driven um, by maybe by birth order, being the youngest, I don't know what it is, people pleasing, whatever. Um, for me, my sort of interoception is really stopping and going very deep and saying, what am I feeling? What is this telling me about this thing that I'm doing? And A, do I really want to be doing it? B, could I be doing it differently? C, should I be doing something completely different? And, you know, so often there's a path, right? Well, everybody's sort of doing this and then they're doing that and they're doing the next thing. And you feel like if you're not on the path, you're missing out. So there's a little FOMO there of, you know, I'm missing out or it's the wrong way. And, and really, I think it's our gut. And, and I know for me, it is that that validates me and says, no, that's really not it. Because that's not the thing that gives you the butterflies in the stomach when you think about it, right? It's yeah. this other thing that you feel afraid to pursue, and maybe even to think deeply about, but that's the butterfly feeling. And versus that's the like, oh, <laughs> I feel really nauseated feeling, right? That's a thing you shouldn't be doing. Even yeah. if it's the thing that's the fame and fortune and ever all the cool kids are doing it, if it's giving you that, oh, that's not the thing. So, you know, pursuing the butterflies is, um, and, and I do think that our gut helps lead the way. I mean, I think we all know that sort of oh feeling, which is different from like a nervous feeling, right? But yeah. that really just like, I don't want to be doing this feeling. Yeah. I talk about it for me, it's this sense of alignment. You know, when I feel kind of whole in myself and versus when I feel kind of pulled out of myself, it's a very visceral, very physical feeling that also is tied to emotions. When I feel that disalignment or misalignment, it creates an anxiety or agitated 
feeling or a distracted feeling versus when I feel really present and centered. And one of the things I've been thinking about, um, you know, with the Center for Mind Body Medicine, of course, we, um, Jim Gordon, um, who has also a wonderful book, Transforming Trauma, um, we do a lot of soft belly breathing. And I've been really reflecting on this around gut and women. You know, I have this memory of a woman um, who my uncle used to be, who my uncle dated when I was young and she was a fashion model. And I can remember her laying on a bed. It's the first time I ever saw anyone do this, but she laid on it. She pulled on these skin tight jeans and laid on a bed to pull the zipper up. And it was just like so zipped in. And I've been thinking about this metaphorically as women, especially around hormones, because I hear women struggle so much with bloating and there's the physical aspect of bloating, but there's this psycho-emotional aspect of women having flat bellies and you know, I connect that to like being emotionally zipped up, how we're just kind of always zipping ourselves up. So on the one hand, I'm really spending more time encouraging women to do soft belly breathing and relax their bellies. And also bloating is a very real thing that affects women and their hormones. So I'd love to segue into women and hormones and what's going on with the gut. Why is the gut? Let's talk about the estrobilome, the microbiome, and what's going on with women's hormones. And then maybe we can circle back to bloating and IBS and some actionable things that women can do. Sure. Sure. No, I think that's a great transition. So I like to think about it in terms of what's our natural state and what's the sort of unnatural state and what, how do we go from natural to unnatural? And sometimes Mm -hmm. more importantly, how do we go back to natural? So, so many things in the gut are, they are beautifully designed And the problem is we interfere. So how do we interfere? The medicine cabinet is a huge, it's the first place I go to quite frankly with a new patient is like, uh, you got to open up your medicine cabinet. And I don't want to just see the prescription stuff. I want to see the -the over-the-counter stuff. I want to see the shopping bag full of supplements you're taking. And, you know, let's dive in. Even before I dive into, quite frankly, the pantry and the kitchen and what they're putting in their mouth, um, I go to the medicine cabinet because when you think about some of these defenses, like you think about the microbiome, the trillions of not just bacteria, but of course, little one cell protozoa organisms, fungal organisms, archaea, all the viruses, all the different organisms um, that make up the microbiome. Although as it turns out, and as you'll hear more from my new book, The Antiviral Gut, the virome is a whole separate world too, with all the different viruses, most of which, like the microbiome, most of which are helpful, not harmful. Not this particular one we're dealing with, but um, SARS-CoV-2. So going back to the microbiome, so we have these trillions of microbes that are primarily there to help us. They digest the food, they co-synthesize the vitamins, you know, the A, D, E, and K, the fat-soluble vitamins that we can't make on our own. They are produce cofactors for those. They help detoxify compounds that we're exposed to. They're involved in angiogenesis and making new new blood vessels, hormone synthesis. So all this incredible stuff, making short chain fatty acids that are the main fuel for cells in our body. And they're just churning along like bees in the beehive. But what do we do? We have the sniffles and we take a 10 day course of antibiotics. And we know that just five days of a broad spectrum antibiotic of the type that we would typically take for a sinus infection, et cetera, can remove a third of your gut bacteria. And when people say to me, oh, I just take a probiotic. I want to say that is magical thinking. That is like filling a bath full of water, letting the plug out, draining the bath, and then saying, I'm going to take this glass of water and I'm going to pour it in and I'm good to go. You can't just undo this stuff. 
good time to drink some water. You can't just undo this stuff by, you know, waving this magic wand. And so while probiotics do have their place, the real work is judicious use of the antibiotics, which I am a huge fan of antibiotics. Me too. Save millions no. of people from the plague, et cetera. They save hundreds of thousands of lives probably every day. But there is also no question they are overused. And we are, we should I, I said to my husband, I told my husband at one point a couple of years ago, I said, if all I accomplish in my life as a physician and a teacher and a healer is the reduction in the use of unnecessary antibiotics from a human level and an ecological level, I will feel like I made a huge difference. It's you that will have made a huge difference. Yeah. You absolutely will have. So oh. and when I see things like, you know, patients will tell me, oh, you know, my teenager is going to get put on doxycycline. I'm like, no, you are. And this might be a teenager who was like my daughter, C-section baby. And nobody knows more about that than you, C-section <laughs> versus vaginal and the difference yeah. between, you know, the not having that opportunity to basically swallow a mouthful of microbes as the head crowns and you turn to face the tush. And we know that C-section babies are colonized with hospital acquired staff and other things instead of the mom's healthy bifido. And we know that that difference can lead to an increase in asthma, allergies, autoimmune diseases, and even obesity that can follow these kids into young adulthood. Mm-hmm. So that early disruption of the microbiome in the first, you know, really a thousand days of life is so critical. And it is, um, you know, I, at this point, like I've gone so far off tangent, I forgot what the initial question was. Okay. So no, we're going to talk about um, the gut hormone connection, but I, you know, started in a word. It's all great. And so I just, for the mamas who are listening, if you're pregnant, I just recommend all pregnant mamas now take an antibiotic, a probiotic, starting in the second trimester, because there is some data that mom taking a probiotic, even if you have a C-section, may help mitigate some of that impact on the baby. And then I recommend baby taking a probiotic. There are some great infant probiotics that you can dilute in your breast milk, give baby a dropper to help mitigate some of this um, damage that Robin's talking about. And of course, along with everything else we need to do, we need to reduce the unnecessary C-section rate. And the nursing, and yeah, so... Yes, nursing nursing is huge. Nursing, if you can, all of those things. So the, um, you know, so we talk about the things that we disrupt that then cause things to go badly. And of course, you know, there are things, as you mentioned, that we can help to mitigate that. But the goal is to try not disrupt it. So to really have that earnest conversation with your GYN, your OBGYN team about your goals and and why you have this goal of a vaginal delivery, why you have a goal of nursing. And if you can do it, fantastic. If you can't, as I ended up with a C-section, my breast milk dried up after about a month and a half. You know, it's it doesn't mean your baby you do is what you can. Yep. But you know, these are these are these are things you should try and do. So the antibiotics, the acid blockers, it's fantastic that you can take a little purple pill and then you know have a porterhouse and uh, fries and two drinks, four drinks at ten o'clock at night and feel great. But what you've done there is you have cut off this incredibly important negative feedback loop in your body, right? And so, you know, because you are the queen of hormones and, and you know, all the, diff- the different hormones have these same negative and positive loops. And so when you, are, when you block stomach acid like that, it means that, yes, you don't have terrible indigestion when you do all these things you shouldn't be doing, like eating a big greasy meal late at night, having a lot of alcohol, it means that you can do these things and feel fine, but that means that the result of these things, which is the sphincter is still opening, gastric contents are still coming up, the damage is still happening, you're just not feeling it. So it's like a giant mm-hmm. band-aid. And as I said to a friend the other day, I said, imagine 
what would happen if you could drink as much champagne as you wanted and feel great the next day? We would all be dead. We would all be dead. You know, we would, if you could drink literally, you know, oh, it's a beautiful summer day. I think I'll have two bottles of champagne. And you woke up feeling perfectly normal. Eventually your liver would just fail and you wouldn't even know it. So a hangover, a headache, however you experience it, is your body's way of keeping you healthy and alive. And so with the gut, there's so many things with that feedback from indigestion, dyspepsia, which is generally your stomach saying, you're doing something I'm not liking. You're eating too late. You're eating too large a meal, too high fat, too much coffee, too much alcohol, whatever it is. Uh, With constipation, it's your gut saying, things are moving too slowly. Are you taking something that's slowing down the transit? And again, it could be prescription. It could be an um, it could be an anti-anxiety or antidepressant. It could be some iron in a supplement you're unaware of or too much calcium. But more commonly, it's a simple thing. So you're not getting enough fiber, you're not getting enough water, and you're not moving enough. And this is where, Aviva, this is a segue for that favorite quote of ours for you to tell the mamas out there. Yes. So first of all, um, in my new book, I have the big five, which are the five medications that are just gut hormone sinking. Robin has a quote that I use in my gut reset. And I think it's in my book too, which is if you're not moving every day, neither are your bowels. But Robin, before we go there, can I, can I just jump back to, so antibiotics, which of course, tons of women are getting in their twenties for urinary tract infection, um, vaginal infections, but especially those UTIs, um, two medications that I want to ask you about. Um, one women taking ibuprofen month after month after month for menstrual pain is something that I really try to help women get off of. There's also a fertility impact that we've now learned with ibuprofen. But another is the pill, particularly the pill with estrogen. And what is your thought of the the pill's impact on gut microbiome? The pill is really problematic, Aviva. And I tell you, it really pains me to say that because we know that unwanted pregnancy keeps women in poverty, in, in sort of bondage all over the world so dramatically, and even here in the US, right, with, with women having unwanted pregnancies at a young age and dropping out of school, et cetera. So it really sort of continues that cycle of poverty uh, in so many ways. And the pill really revolutionized that for a lot of women as a way to prevent unwanted pregnancy. Unfortunately, it comes at a really significant cost. And where I see it the most are my young woman with inflammatory bowel disease, these two autoimmune conditions, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And we see that the pill in young women in particular with inflammatory bowel disease it tends to be associated with flare-ups of the disease. Now, not every single woman, some women tolerate it just fine, but in a lot of women, it's associated with flare-ups of the disease. And these diseases all have something at the root we know called dysbiosis, which is basically an alteration in the microbiome. It is generally an overrepresentation of more pathogenic species and an underrepresentation of some of the healthier species or a decrease in what we call alpha diversity, which is the richness and the evenness of the bacteria, the microbes. And and so we have seen in multiple examples that hormonal interference, if you will, whether it's a pill or sometimes significant amounts of estrogen later on menopausally can disrupt the microbiome and can, it's a big cause of bloating in, in a lot of people. And that's true, both sort of in younger women, maybe around menarche or whenever women are getting put on the pill. And it's true in older women too, sometimes who are on hormone replacement therapy. And again, it's different for every woman, 
But what I would say is it's something you should consider if you're trying to, you know, if you're being a medical detective and trying to figure out your bloating, that's something that you should definitely take a look at. What, what's been your experience with that, Aviva? Um, I definitely feel that it disrupts gut. It seems to be especially the estrogen-based pills. I'm not so sure the progestin-onlys are doing it. And I, I have concerns, right, because the data is clear that women with uh, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's are at risk of a flare. And there's even a risk of new onset of those autoimmune conditions when women start the pill. So if it can cause that, are those women actually the canary in the coal mine of gut changes that the pill is causing in most women, and it's just those women that are most susceptible to yeah. a more extreme representation of what happens, and that's where we see it. So I'm I'm the same. I'm very loath to condemn the pill, but I do feel like we need to be more critical about it, more um, disclosing as physicians about the known and potential side effects and those deeper root cause side effects. You know, how is it affecting the gut? We know there's a particularly significant increase in depression in women who take the pill, including young women who take the pill. This has been well documented in the literature now, how much of that is happening through this gut disruption versus the hormones themselves. So lots and lots of thoughts about it. Bloating. So bloating and constipation. So we, we were going to segue into movement. But even before we do that, can you say a word or, or so about the astrobolome? I, when I geek out on stuff, I geek out about the gut probably more than I geek out about anything. Just like when I was doing research for my 28-day gut reset for this book, for other things, I had no idea that the gut was involved, for example, in heavy metal detoxification, just as a natural way to detoxify heavy metals we would have gotten even in ancient times from our food, or the really um, significant role of the, of the fact that we have a department, if you will, of our microbiome dedicated to estrogen metabolism is honestly one of the coolest things. I love when nature and science intersect and then we find it in, in a woman's body. I'm just like, okay, this is so cool. So and tell I us about the department, you know, it's like the department. Yeah, I always call it the department. I have this idea. Yes, it's great. Yeah. And I can think of exactly the woman I would pick to lead that department. I mean, Who is that? That would be you for the department, oh, the secretary the of <laughs> Department of Estrogen. The secretary of the interior, of the anterior. <laughs> Called the secretary of the anterior. So what is the astrobolome and why is it so important? And then we'll switch because the whole constipation and bloating piece also ties into that. Yeah. So what we see when we look at gut bacteria, you know, we're all sort of a little bit obsessed with good versus bad, like Fecalobacterium prosnitzii, one of my favorites. It's the most prevalent bacteria in vegans. It's associated with a reduction in colon cancer, reduction metabolic disorders, et cetera. It's a you know fantastic bug, but it's less about the bacteria and more about the byproducts, right? What are they actually, yeah. what are these metabolites that they're actually making? And so the sort of this concept of metabolomics is really interesting. And, and what we know is that different bacteria at different times can switch. So you can be making this thing primarily, but in a different setting, you can make something else. So for example, if we look at short chain fatty acids, which are sort of the engine of the gut, we know that short chain fatty acids are made by fermentation of poorly absorbed fiber of like all the good, like celery and, you know, all that stuff you should be eating. And the gut bacteria ferment that and produce short-chain fatty acids like butyrate, et cetera. In the absence of fiber, gut bacteria can actually take ketones and make short-chain fatty acids. Now, that's not the preferred way to do it, but that can happen. And so that's an example of 
you know, metabolomics of either the bacteria change or the substrate changes, but that you're really, it's the byproduct, that end product that's really important. And so when we look at production of estrogen, it's really important to think about what can disrupt that. So you mentioned heavy metals, but I, you know, dry cleaning, some of the chemicals used to dry cleaning, household goods, all of those things. Plastic plastic drinking bottles, all the phthalates in our perfumes, all of it. Yeah, that can really interfere with that. You know, we mentioned like it's not that one bacteria does one specific thing, but a lot of these things produce cofactors that are involved in production of something else. So if you're missing, it's sort of like an assembly line, right? So if you're missing some particular rivet in something that you're making, you get to the end, you find the thing just doesn't fit together properly because it's, you know, there's some screw that's supposed to connect two things and it's not. And so the thing is off. And I think that's a really sort of helpful way to think about it, right? If all these different pieces are not working together, then the production is off. And it may not even be the amount of the hormone you're seeing that's off, but it may be the hormone is slightly altered. So it might be, for example, a less effective form of something that is just not having as profound an effect as, you know, as it would in its normal state. And so, you know, when we think about this, it's important, and I'm sure this is something that your book really outlines, to think about all the potential disruptors to this, to this process, to this assembly line. And, you know, even if you don't have a perfect assembly line, if you can get as many pieces to the table as possible functioning well, you're better off. So let's talk about those pieces. And let's talk about gas bloating, IBS, constipation. Those are just huge issues. So let's just focus on those two things. Um, what causes gas bloating, IBS? We talked about fiber, stress. You know, um, Let's talk about diet. What women can really do actionably to heal those issues and to really ensure a healthy microbiome? Sure. And I'd love to, you know, when we think about IBS, I really want people to think about a pie. And the pie has multiple slices. So There is, in my mind, no such thing as just irritable bowel syndrome. There is always a reason why your gut is irritable. And your goal is to figure it out. And some of the things might be much less common things. Like it might be, you know, you have undiagnosed Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, which even though they're common to me, in the general population, these are rarer diseases. But it could be something more common, like gluten intolerance or lactose intolerance. Lactose intolerance, 70% of the world can't digest lactose properly. Because dairy is really designed for baby cows and we are not baby cows. And so most people will have a problem. Now, that doesn't mean you can never have dairy, but that's something that you have to think about. Um, Fructose malabsorption, maybe you have a food sensitivity, maybe you have an undiagnosed parasite, maybe you're just blocked. Maybe you, even though you're having a bowel movement every day, it's not all evacuating. And so things are kind of plugged and then everything is sort of dilating up like a funnel above it. So much of bloating is actually constipation in that pie. So rather than just sort of medicalize it and, you know, I'm going to take a pill for this, I think really doing some forensics, if you will, and really excavating, no pun intended here, and, you know, digging in to see really what's going on. And and that, you know, as I said in the beginning, that's really our goals. You know, you with this whole concept of hormone intelligence, me with this concept of gut bliss, is really giving people the tools so they can understand this might be what's going on. So when I think about bloating, gas, constipation, sort of all in that pie, I first think about the medicine cabinet and I think about antibiotics, NSAIDs, hormones, 
And there are other things too, steroids, et cetera. Um, But I think about the medicine cabinet. I think about food, either not enough fiber or too much sugar, processed food, stuff like that, sort of Franken food, synthetic foods. Um, If you're obsessed with the label and how many grams of carbs, protein, et cetera, you're eating the wrong food because you should be eating food with no label, the orange, the sweet potato, you know, whatever it is. Um, So I think about food. Can I tell you, I want to have a t-shirt made that says, my microbiome made me eat it. Because when I talk to women about sugar and carbs, first of all, we know that that disrupted microbiome can create actual sugar cravings. But um, I always have this image of, you know, like when you're making bread and you put yeast in the bowl and then you have to feed it sugar and water to make that yeast rise. I always think about that going on in the gut because you get that that bubbling and those gases, right? Or when you make, when you make alcohol, I've never made it, but I've seen it made, but you can't cork the bottle tightly because those gases that form from the fermentation would explode the bottle, right? Those gases rise, they fill up space and they distend that space. So when I think of gas and bloating, I, I think of constipation, of course. And then also I think about what you were talking about earlier, the byproducts of those microorganisms. And some of them are producing actual gases Absolutely. They're producing methane gas. Yes, and that can fill up the space and make you look and feel distended, quite distended. Absolutely. And literally, you cannot, you know, get the cork on, which is not necessarily your skinny, tight jeans, but just (laughs) a pair of elastic waist pants. Absolutely. So there's overproduction of methane and hydrogen, et cetera. And, And this is a thing. It's important, though, to distinguish between good gas and bad gas. So, you know, if you think of cruciferous vegetables, cauliflower, broccoli, things like that, Everybody's going to have some gas with that, beans, but that gas is a result of fermentation of what we talked about, this sort of indigestible, poorly digestible carbohydrates by gut bacteria and the fermentation process, and they're producing short-chain fatty acids. That's a different kind of gas. Than- this is really important because a lot of times, and I've seen this in my 28-day gut reset, You know, I let people know in, in the gut section of my book and you and I see this, right? I mean, we eat these foods all the time. So our bodies are acclimated to them. But when I see people transition onto, you know, I tell people eat eight to 10 servings of vegetables a day, or, you know, get a green drink, get a salad, get cooked greens, whatever it is, they'll start. And in that first week, they're like, oh my gosh, now I'm having gas and bloating and it's even more. And I say, okay, give that, give that some time because that is actually very different bloating. So I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah, that's that. And that, well, as you said, a lot of that over time, if you're doing a lot of raw vegetables, do more cooked. You can use a little yeah. sea vegetable, like a little kombu. Make sure you're soaking beans ahead of time. There are all sorts of things that you can do. Herbs and spices. Absolutely. And sometimes yeah. just sort of dialing it back a little bit and then wrapping it up. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of the green smoothie because I find that just blending stuff goes down really easy. But even that, sometimes I get a little you know, enthusiastic and I'm having like 40 ounces of green smoothie in the morning and I just... It's just not going well. And I have to, I have to dial that back. So, yeah. So we think about foods and then the structural issues, and this is where there's a lot of overlap with us too. So, you know, do you have a tipped uterus? Is your uterus retroverted and is it pressing on things a little bit? Do you have fibroids or endometriosis that are affecting the gut function? Um, you know, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. A lot of women don't know. Yeah, they really hammer. struggle with, yes, that they struggle with constipation. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really encouraging women. If you have constipation and you've tried all the things and you've had vaginal births, especially, or multiple pregnancies, 
get your pelvic floor checked because it could be pelvic floor dysfunction. It could be a big rectocele or something. And I tell you, that is such sage advice because I have, you know, I have a, a, a fairly established routine for what I use for constipation. In addition to making sure that people are hydrated and they're well fibered, et cetera, and they're moving a bit in terms of what I use and tell and- everyone what it is. Cause you know, like everyone's like, well, what is it? So, so I usually, it's usually a combination of some fiber in the morning. Psyllium husk is great. Not everybody tolerates it. So if you don't tolerate psyllium husk, a little acacia fiber, A-C-A-C-I-A, Acacia fiber is soluble, so it doesn't, it's not gritty like psyllium and it dissolves completely. It's odorless, tasteless. It does, it's not quite as robust for the gut, but it will do. So usually a little fiber in the morning. And then usually a little magnesium at night works great. So either something really sort of gentle, like a calm magnesium or oxy powder, which is really, you know, robust. It's sort of the drain. Sounds like it. So that combination, yeah, it does sound like a household cleanser. That combination of a little fiber and a little magnesium um, works great. I obviously try to avoid any of the stimulant laxatives, the things containing senna, because your gut will become dependent on them. Um, but so often that just isn't working, as you said, you know, where people will say, I've, you know, women will say, I'm doing, you know, four tablespoons of psyllium husk, I'm doing all this magnesium, I'm eating all these things, and it's just stuck. And so often it is a pelvic floor issue, or what we call in the GI world, anismus, and a paradoxical contraction. I mean, there's so many things mm-hmm. that can be happening, but yeah. one of the common things is this paradoxical contraction where you think you're pushing and your valve is supposed to be opening to let stuff out, but instead you're contracting. Interesting. So there's so many things that a good biofeedback practitioner can do with relaxing pelvic muscles and really sort of retraining those muscles to work properly. Because going to the bathroom, having a bowel movement, it should be full of ease. It shouldn't be this like, you know, it's not. I know, I'm I'm always telling people like, I read something recently that said, um, it was some medical advice, like it shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes to have a bowel movement. I thought 15, 15 minutes, minutes. That's like a lifetime. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it like should take you like minutes. seconds. Yes. <laughs> you're like, but we, you know, we are so, there's so many things that, you know, going back to what you said at the beginning, natural to unnatural back to natural. I mean, even the physiology of how we sit to poop. Absolutely. Robin, there are so many things we can talk about. Yes. I know should, so I, many things I want to talk with you about. Um, but I know I want to just, before we wrap, just because of the interest of time, if there were, we, you mentioned taking processed foods out. We talked about dairy. We talked about fiber. Um, we talked about diversity, which means also eating a diversity of food. Yes. We talked about antibiotics and SAIDs, um, uh, birth control hormones and, um, antacids. We, Obviously, we started out talking about the gut stress component. So soft belly breathing and meditation, all super important. Are there any other pieces that you can think of? I mean, we could talk for two days on this together, which would be really fun, actually. Anything else that you're just like, this is an essential takeaway for gut health? Yes. I'm so glad you asked me because it's not an obvious one. And just like you, you know, the the, uh, writing a new book is exciting, but it's also like this incredible amount of homework, right? And I, yes. I, the reason I'm so behind with my draft is because I went down so many rabbit holes with things and I had to pull back. So one of them was sleep. And I'm like, wait, you're actually not writing a book on sleep. You're writing oh a book my gosh. on viral gut about how to improve the health of the host. So we don't have to worry as much about the potency of the pathogen. But I literally was like 60 pages of sleep. Same here. 
I'm like, wait, no, the no, no, same no. thing happened to me. I no, had no, to no. pull it back. I had to pull it back. And, and so I, but watched, it's in here. It's in the I book. I because- Matthew Walker's masterclass on sleep. And I had read his book, why we sleep, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the sleep gut. So first of all, you can go a week without eating and you will feel shaky and weak. And you know, you will be hypoglycemic and you'll be really ready for that first meal, but you're not going to, most people not have any long-term effects of going seven days without food. If you go seven days without water, that's a little worse, right? You're going to be very dehydrated. You might even start to go into organ failure for some of your organs, but with rehydration, you're probably not going to have long-term organ failure. You go seven days without sleep, your, your risk for heart attack is massively increased. Your risk for Alzheimer's is increased. Your cancer promoting genes are turned on. Your immune defense genes are turned down. Your psychotic, delusional, hallucinating. If you're a woman, your chances of infertility are increased. And if you're a man, your testosterone production is down in a way that can age you by as much as a decade. It is unbelievable. Every single animal on the planet sleeps. We have to sleep. And the statistics about not sleeping are so incredible. I mean, Matt Walker talks about this experiment that we do every year called Daylight Savings Time. When 1.6 billion people in 70 countries lose an hour of sleep in the spring. And what happens the next day that Monday? 24% increase in heart attacks. So crazy. It, it is really wow. this elixir, right? Like I am so gut focused and I think the gut is just where it's at in the most incredible organ. But I am here to tell you, like having really gone deep into sleep now, I was yeah. such a night owl. I used to be up till two in the morning and I'd be all groggy the next day. Aviva at 11 o'clock, I am in my bed, no matter what, no matter like I've got a deadline the next day, the yeah. thing is written, I'm in my bed. At 11 p.m. I'm so committed to sleep too. When people ask me if there's one thing, I'm like evening wind down, seven hours of sleep. And what I went geeky out, geeking out on in the book because I have a whole chapter on sleep was the gut sleep connection. Yes. Like that your microbiome can actually get jet lagged. That your microbiome Absolutely. and your circuit, their microbiome has a circadian rhythm. That, that there's this bi direction. It's so interesting. So yeah, the throws sleep all is, the hormones out of whack. Yes, all that. So that is, and and it's the thing that you know the things that I notice in my own life. I always talk about dirt, sweat, veg. Right, I've got to get outside in nature and get a little, you know, hug a tree, something. I've got to get sweaty. I got it over and done with this morning. Um, the, my it. challenge is always like, how can I get sweaty? And then like <laughs> the hair is not look too crazy. But you look gorgeous. Vegetables, right? And I've got to try and eat as many vegetables as I can. But I have to add sleep to that. Sleep yeah. is just so, and it just messes up everything else. Like you literally, it messes up your cardiovascular system, your immune system, your gut, your respiratory system, hormonal system. It's an endocrine disruptor. Like everything else is messed up. And I think it is such an underlooked and undervalued thing. And yes, there are different sort of chronotypes. So some people are night owls, some people are morning larks, but within that you have got to get fall in that seven to nine hours or you are lost. I agree. So that's that's sort of the, the thing that my new thing that I'm, I'm so all about it. No, I actually went back and forth with the book. Originally, I had a chapter on sleep and stress together because of the cortisol connection. And I was like, no, sleep gets its own chapter. So it's this whole ecosystem in, in my book. I want to hear it. Tell us before we go, 
about your new book. Thank you. So the, you know, I, I realized it had been my first book, Gut List, came out in 2013, which as you know, that means I wrote it in 2012. So Gut List is 2013. Uh, the microbiome solution, which is actually my favorite, was 2015. And the bloat cure was 2016, which is probably my least favorite. I'm sure my publisher will love me saying that. But um, <gasps> Gut List and the microbiome solution are just my two favorites. And so that last book was 2016. And so it's been five years and I was sort of feeling like, oh, you know, I kind of feel like I want to write something, but I also kind of felt like, well, I said a lot of what I had to say and I wasn't sure that I had, I wanted to write something funny, actually a fictional book called Dirty Girl about trying to like live dirty Love in a that. clean world and that in-between space that I think you and I inhabit. Like we're conventional doctors in many ways, we're MDs, we wear white coats sometimes, but we're also integrative and we also live in the functional medicine world, but sometimes that world is just as wacky as the conventional world. So, you know, I was going to, I was like, Oh, maybe it'd be fun to do something like that. And then we kept seeing these articles coming out about the microbiome as not just an important predictor of upcoming COVID, the most important predictor of upcoming COVID. And what people started realizing is that, oh, all these people with heart disease and hypertension and diabetes and asthma who are unfortunately dying or doing really poorly with COVID, guess what? They all have a messed up microbiome. And there were so many similarities with long COVID and what we see with post-infectious irritable bowel syndrome and all these sort of post-viral syndromes. And so my, my wonderful book agent, Howard Yoon, in the fall had said to me, why don't you write an editorial? about this. And I was sort of like, well, I'm going to write an editorial and I just don't know what that will like. And then people will call my office and want to come see me. I'm just not sure that really moves the needle. And then in January, he and I huddled again. There was another huge landmark article. I mean, the, the research was just astounding. Acid blockers, proton pump inhibitors, if you take them once a day, can double your risk, your likelihood of getting infected with COVID twice a day. And, and interestingly, we already knew that. We already knew that from the ICU, right? Patients yes, who were taking absolutely. those had a much higher risk pneumonia, of adverse pneumonia. Exactly. Yeah. And we knew it also from looking at gut infections like Campylobacter, mm -hmm. et cetera. But we know it in a very different way now. We feel it in a different way. And so Howard and I huddled and he said, well, why don't you just put something together and we'll send it to our same great team at Avery at Penguin Random House because they know you. You've done three books. You don't have to do the full thing. So I literally sat down that weekend and it just sort of came flowing out. And because at that time, Aviva, and I know you'll relate to this, because the stakes were low, because I didn't have a book deal, it flowed out really easily. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And they got it. And we're like, we really like this and, and made an offer. And so I was like, okay, great. And then Howard said, okay, now go and write the book. And then it was just stuck. <laughs> Everything just froze. Like once it's like, oh, there's a contract. Um, yes. I've deposited the first check. There's a I told my husband, no, I told my husband, I will never write a book again after I've gotten the contract. I will have to write, if I write another book ever, it would be writing it first. It's all done. It's like what I go. want. And <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's about how we can support our health and prevent viral infection, but also more serious disease with starting Absolutely. with a healthy gut. If, if I had okay. to sum it up, so the title is the antiviral gut. And if I had to sum it up in one sentence, I would say this, it is more about the health of the host than the potency of the pathogen. How can we be the healthiest host? So that the, even if we do get infected, 
the virus passes out and we're good. We're not sick. We're not in the ICU. We're not dying. We're not long haulers. And so much of this is about dysbiosis. It is about having a healthy microbiome because that is our main defense. 70% of our immune system is actually in our gut. So when we think of our innate and our adaptive immune system, we're really talking about that communication between a lot of the immune cells and the gut bacteria and making sure that that relationship is as robust as it can be. So it's been, um, you know, when I... Well, Robin, I... I love having conversations with you and I love having conversations with you. <laughs> definitely do this more often. I know. I want to. And we'll also rerun this as a podcast to support okay. your book when it comes out. Cause that'll be September, 2021. Actually the pub date is January, 2022, but I'd okay, love so to we'll, do something with you towards the yes, end of the year, which I'm sure we will. We definitely will. And everyone, I know you can just see how incredible Robin is at taking really complex information, making it accessible. And I hope you've gotten some really actionable pieces. Robin's book, all of her books, amazing support. Now you hear what her favorites are. We won't tell her publisher. And my book, of course, a whole section on a whole major chapter on gut ecosystem and how it affects your hormones, your health as a woman. Um, please check them out. And Robin, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and your experience. My pleasure. I just have to say one thing to your community before we go. And okay. ladies, I know you already know this about Aviva because that's why you're part of her incredible community. But I want to tell you as a physician and as a colleague, we are very good at spotting people who are in this for the right reasons. I can kind of spot them a mile apart. And there are some very smart people who are producing great stuff, but they're not necessarily in it for the right reason. Um, Aviva is really in it for the right reason. She is really here to improve your health and to spread messages of wisdom and common sense and, and, you know, incredible information that can really help you now buy her book and also tell friends to buy her book because she does have to, you know, she has to maintain that roof over her head, but she is in it for the right reasons. And that's why I'm always so honored to be a part of her community. Oh my gosh. All right. I'll give you that check I paid for you saying. No, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.